All right. Uh, since everyone's got their their Bibles or some expression of that, digitally or otherwise, uh, turn to Matthew chapter five. Some people wonder whether or not you know they should bring their Bibles to church and. Definitely, when you are the church, you should have the word with you. Whether or not you should bring it to church, that's debatable. But if you're part of the church, yes, you should always have the word on you at all times. And uh, so definitely want definitely to encourage that. You're going to use it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, just setting the context here, Jesus is... Uh, basically his longest preach that he ever made. You know, there's a crowd of people that are here. This is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to go through a few of these things. This is uh, Jesus' uh, you know, first great message from out of his ministry after he has come out of the wilderness, uh, been tempted, uh, been led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He was led under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He comes out of the wilderness after having been tempted by the devil uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit. So there was a a transition that took place that released him into uh, his ministry. And so he goes up on a mountaintop and he begins to preach. Uh, You could think of it as he went up on a stage. Uh, He went up on a platform. He went up to a high place where there was an opportunity to be able to speak. And not only did his words speak, but his life resonated so much with the words that he was speaking that there was such a power that was released that literally people were transformed. Uh, The men that were following him, the depth of of fellowship uh, was even deeper. Uh, It was more ingrained in them. The resonating call uh, on them to follow Jesus was deepened. And they were captured by a sound that he was making. And the very first thing that he starts off saying here is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them, or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so you see these, this connection here. Uh, between being poor in spirit and being able to receive not only blessing, but this kingdom of heaven that he's, that he's been talking about and that he's going to talk about more, chapter 6, where he talks about how to pray uh, in Matthew, where he talks about the kingdom of heaven and bringing the will of Father in heaven here on earth. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, he's talking about being the fulfillment of the law and of the word of God and all this. And you see an awakening begin to happen in awe uh, at the word of God that's being released to these people, that's being spoken. We asked, I asked the question, where are those who really are in awe of God's word? Mm-hmm. To the point where it creates transformation in them and really... There's, there's change that results. There's, there's incarnation. Jesus incarnated the word. That's what I was talking about in terms of his life lined up with the words that he was speaking 
And that's where the power was released. It wasn't enough just to hear something and for it to tickle their ears because Jesus got after people that just heard something and did nothing about it. That was one of the issues with the church people that he was addressing so often. We're going to get into how he addressed the people who were not the church folk, but the people who were, who attended church all the time, they were around church activities, otherwise known as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all these. These are the, these are the committed church people, but they did very little with what they heard. Because there wasn't a desperation. There wasn't, and that's what he's addressing. Blessed are those who are beggars. Who desperately need what he has to offer. Where's our focus when we're looking at God? Is Think of a beggar, not necessarily here in the United States, because it's not an accurate representation. Okay, but somebody in a third world country, India, or somebody with legit poor, you know, poor, poor, if they don't eat that day, they might die. It could be, you know, a number of days that they have eaten or, you know, been cared for. They're blind, uh, lame, and some way you just don't see that kind of poor, poor in the United States, at least not, you know, in Kirkland on the east side or, or anything like that. What are they looking at? What's their focus? Most of all, you know, mo- most importantly, they're looking at the hand. They're looking at the provision. But God's talking about, or Jesus is talking about a relationship that draws our attention toward the face. First and foremost, the relationship. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who, who understand their need for God. Their desperate need for God. That every day, I have to have a piece of you, Jesus. You're the bread of life. You were broken off for all of us, and I've got to have you. It's not just reading the word, but it's what is the word which is assigned to us. Where is the word pointing to? So in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is speaking to some more of the church folk, and these church people are really good with their Bibles. They've, they've memorized the Word. They, they study it all the time. They've, they've written out the, the law, the Mosaic law, from a young age. These, I mean, Hebrew children, they, they memorize the Mosaic law. Anybody here done that? Okay, I mean, these guys knew it. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, Pharisee of Pharisees. These guys were not playing around when it came to God's Word. And he says to them there, he says, you know what, you read the Scriptures thinking that they in and of themselves will bring you eternal life. But he said, you you don't understand all of these words, all of these things that you've been studying, they point to me. I remember Bill Johnson one time, he's a pastor from Redding, California, at Bethel Church, and he said this, he said, he, he pointed to the sign, you know, over the exit, it was the exit sign, he said, when you, when you exit a building, you don't go through the sign, you pass through the door, the sign's only pointing to the destination, yeah. so the word of God, apart from a relationship to the word, Jesus, John 1, you know, it talks about he was the word, he was with God in, you know, in the beginning. He is the word, flesh and blood. Yeah. 
without that, we're going to miss something big time if we're constantly looking only at the hand of God and his provision rather than seeking his face. The relationship. And we should be able to find him in his word. God, I want you, not just what I can... Would not just what you can give me. At work, I oftentimes have uh, gum at my office, and my kids will come into my office after school. Hey, Dad, what's going on? Can I get some of that gum? It's like, son, remember, what's the most important thing here? Oh, yeah. Hey, Dad, how's your day? <laughs> How's your day, Dad? And what am I trying to do? I'm trying to teach him the importance of it's not about what you can get from me. The most important thing is our relationship, our face-to-face. So they know that they're to come, they're to greet me, they're to give hugs and all that kind of stuff, give kisses. And then it's, can I get some gum, Dad? (laughs) Absolutely. I love being able to bless them that way. But them being, being trained, and we have to be trained, that it's not all about what we can get from God. It's about... What, who, who he is, his person. How does that affect us in terms of worship? When, when we gather together and we worship together, what's our focus? Are you worshiping according to your original design, his original intent for your life? I don't know if you know this or not, but you were originally designed to give God glory and to give Him worship. Do we have needs? Absolutely. Does God meet those needs? Absolutely. But when we constantly come to God just with this thing, you know, arms open, ready to just receive, when we come and we sit and we listen to the Word, are we just there to receive? Or have we come to give? God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. We've got to remember our identity is a giver to reflect the divine community that we would be givers. But Jesus is posturing us, first of all, with saying, beggars, spiritual beggars, hungry, desperate for God. Yeah. Knowing full well that his desire is to provide for us. So teaching the value of our relationship first and provision second. This way our relationship with God doesn't change based upon the current level of provision or perceived need. What happens if I don't have gum for the kids? See you dad. I'm out of here. No, no, no. It's the relationship first. No, son, I don't, I don't have any gum today. Okay, Dad. Love you, Dad. Right? That relationship stays the same regardless of what I'm going through, whatever circumstances I'm facing. I'm not going to be up and down depending on how things are going. How was your day today? Oh, I, was, I mean, again, it's not that we don't face difficult things and it's we don't just stay in this fantasy world of, oh, everything's good, everything's fine. We can definitely be real, but again, we're not going to come to God or or stay away from God based upon what we're facing at the time. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. 
I love what Augustine says. He says, nothing will satisfy one who would not be satisfied with God himself, first and foremost. Nothing will satisfy one who would not be satisfied with God himself, first and foremost. We can try and fill our lives up with all these different things, but you know what? If we're not satisfied with him and him alone, first and foremost... Forget all the other satisfactions, the attempts, the 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 false fabrications of this and that. Who are we? Who are we compared to those who? may not be walking with God right now. These are your neighbors. These are people at, at your job place, all those kind of things. People who don't, they're not connected with God. They're not, they don't have a relationship with him. What's the difference between us and them? I want you to remember this. We're one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That's going to be something... That I, I want us to remember. I want you to write it down. I want you to s- repeat it to one another. Yeah. We're one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. And of course, we're talking about the bread of life, Jesus Christ Himself, That's right. the object and the focus of love that we read about from Isaiah. Why is that important? It resonates so well with Matthew 5, chapter 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual beggars mm-hmm. who are desperate for God because it keeps us postured in a way where you, you can't get arrogant when you have, when you understand where you are. You know, you look at, you know, God's life and his favor and his love that you experience, you know, in your life to the religious What that did to the church folk back in Jesus' day is it made them proudful, prideful, cocky, arrogant, better than, holier than thou. Mm -hmm. Well, we understand from Jesus' perspective that we are all the sheep. It's just, you know, the sheep of his pasture hearing his voice, but there's some who haven't heard his voice, and that's why they're not following him. What's the difference between you and them? You've received God's grace. And they're in the process of receiving God's grace. It's not even that they haven't yet. They are receiving God's grace. Just as we are receiving God's grace. They're just in a different place. Is Jesus pursuing us? Yes, he is. Is he pursuing them? Yes, he is. And we get to be a part of drawing them into the family of God. Turn to uh, Acts. Jump into Acts chapter 1. I want you to write something else down. Write these words. Go, period. Reach the unreached, period. Touch the untouched, period. 
love the unloved. Go, period. Reach the unreached, period. Touch the untouched. Love the unloved. Why is this important? Because this is the example that Jesus gave us. Lepers, the outcasts of society, the demonized, the backslidden, the lowly, the rich and the powerful, the prideful, the sick and the dying, the sinful, the tatted up and the inked out, the pierced, the rejected, those who look wonderful like they've got it all together on the outside, and those who have nothing at all, they are so broken, it's so evident because they wear it everywhere on their person. You got to understand at, at North Shore, there's there's not pressure. You understand what I'm saying? To or or there's no pressure or biblical mandate to invite anyone to the temple. You hear that? Yeah. In attempts to get someone into a relationship with Jesus, we don't go to church. We are the church. That's good. That's who we are. Uh, I'd like you, I'd like us to not even talk about or use that terminology or that expression going to church because it hamstrings us in so many ways that we don't even know. We don't even understand it. When we talk about going to church, because right away we're, we're automatically taking it into something we do as opposed to something that we are. Every time we confess that, we're literally releasing a, a power to steal our identity in terms of who we are, rather than the church is gathering. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? This, what are you going to do Sunday? I'm going to be gathering with the church. You know, I'm going to be gathering with other believers. We're going to get together and worship together. Obviously. It's not that we, you know, never say that maybe for, you know, somebody who doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. But they're real, you know, it it takes on such a different meaning when we say, "Hey, we're we're the church and we're gathering together." Mm-hmm. Rather than we're just going to a meeting or, you know, something like that. But there's purpose in who we are and what we do out of that. It's really good. Very good. We are the church. We are Christ's body. We live in fellowship with Jesus. And with one another. Amen. So let's look at Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Let me just set this up for us real quick. So we have all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus in there is talking to you know his closest followers, his disciples, different ones like this. And uh, he's telling them, uh, you know, hey, I want you guys to come follow me. Then he, then he you know, brings them into a little bit more of the process. And he he begins to tell them part of the price tag associated with following him. And then he says, I'm going to leave, and but I'm not going to leave you guys alone. I'm going to send somebody for you. These are a ragtag bunch of guys. I mean, these guys are the, the calling all the rejects, okay, is the song that he was singing over, over these guys. So uh, that qualifies every single one of us. Amen. Right? Amen. Calling all the rejects, all the outcasts. We could go into all the different things. 
I mean, these guys did not make the cut on any team that they were on. They were they were left out. Uh, you know, he he's getting guys that today I don't know what they'd look like, but nobody wanted them. These guys were four of them were fishermen, making a meager existence, working with their dads. Two of these guys are publicans or tax collectors. These guys are the traitors of the Jewish people. They worked for the enemy. They worked for the Roman government. You know, uh, blackmailing and, uh, you know, taking profits from their own people in order to fill their own pockets. And here Jesus is grabbing these guys and saying, come follow me. Jesus knew who they were. He knew what to look for. He didn't look about, he didn't look like, you know, look at what they were on the outside. He looked at who they would become. Who they would become. So check this. He says, um, I want you guys to go and I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And I'm going to send somebody there for you. He's the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want you to wait there for him. And then when he comes you'll have a greater understanding because he's going to help you accomplish the mission and be who I've called you to be. Apart from him, you're not going to be able to do anything. So here we have, uh, well, let's read this here. So verse 8 of this, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we see on them, as a result of who Jesus is, we see a mandate that's on them. First of all, locally, in Jerusalem, that's the city that they were in. Then Judea and Samaria, which is the region that they were a part of. And then globally, he said, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Okay, so threefold mandate. And uh, so the... The original purpose of the Holy Spirit was to fill followers of Jesus with power to represent Him and call others into relationship with Jesus the way that they had relationship with Him. This was not about a recruiting thing. This was not about uh, you know putting notches in their belt. This was not about exploiting people. This was about connecting them with the only life source that the, the best life source, the only life source that the planet has ever known. Yes, good. This was not a man-made vision to reach and to witness. This was the vision of God being walked out, being lived out and demonstrated through Holy Spirit. If you look in your Bibles, for what it's, you know, just my personal opinion, but... It, I don't agree with what typical Bibles say if you look at the title page for the book of Acts. What's it say there? The Acts of the Apostles. The of the Apostles. And because I believe it should read the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, like Again, it's my, my personal opinion, but um, very little is ever actually done in the Gospels. Jesus was saying, I'm gonna call, I've called you to be fishers of men. I've, I'm calling you to be this. I'm calling you to do this. And he gave them specific authority to go out and do certain things. But overall, these guys were worthless to the world until Holy Spirit came. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 
We look at pre-Holy Spirit, you have Peter, just use him as an example. He's the disciple who continually putting his foot in his mouth. He's denying Jesus, you know, three different times. He totally turns his back on him when Jesus is at his worst, most vulnerable place. And before he'd said, I'm with you till the end. You know, and I'm not faulting him. Any of us would be in that same, you would find ourselves in that same situation when you got spears, knives, and, you know, Uzis right at, you know, facing right at you. Okay? But the Holy Spirit's the determining factor in all of that. The filling, indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the life of the Holy Spirit, so that when the Holy Spirit comes on them in power, they meet him in the upper room like this type of an experience. The place is shaken to the foundations. There's this wind, you know, whatever those things are that took place, there's a unitive power that's released over those people. And then Peter, who had been a coward up to this point, and he, if he were standing here, he'd be the first one to admit it. I'm not telling you anything he didn't already say himself. Okay? I'm really careful about dogging on people in the scriptures. Okay? As if we would have known any better or done anything different. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Again, we're one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. We just know where the source is. That's it. We don't have it together. Come on. Lisa and I have been studying sheep. Oh, my goodness. Are we in bad shape or what? If that's the metaphor that Jesus used, we're going to do a whole study on that whole thing. It's going to be, it's going to be really cool. Lee, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. So Jesus ascends into heaven, Holy Spirit descends into their lives. So Peter in chapter 2 of Acts stands up and boldly proclaims, whereas before he was tucking tail and running, he stands up and he tells them straight up, you guys are mur- you guys murdered the Christ. Those are some straight-up words that he was bringing to them. He says they were, they, were, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted of sin. There were there, you know, hundreds of people that, were, that get, you know, surrendered their life to Jesus that day. And said, you're right. We did it. But the Holy Spirit was the factor of them being filled with him. That's good. John 15, 26 and 27 says Jesus is describing what's going to happen. Hey guys, this is again before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit is poured out, before he fills their life with, you know, come upon you in power and you'll be my witnesses. What's that word in the Greek? What's it mean? Dunamis. Dunamis power, that's right. Holy Spirit power. But what does is, what is witness mean in the Greek? That word witness. It means martyr. Mm. Oh yeah, we're going to be your witnesses. Awesome, Jesus. This is going to be cool. We're just going to tell people about you and stuff. Oh, that means martyr? Oh, shoot. You know, I mean, they're realizing what they're signing up for. They're realizing the cost associated with it. And Jesus is describing this to them all along the way. If you're going to follow me. And he didn't, you know, he, it just wasn't one time. He laid it out for them. Count the cost, fellas. Count the cost. Well, how do we know Jesus actually, that's what he meant? No, come on. I know that's what it says in the Greek. Well, a lot of times what we know is based upon what they did. Because them being right there, they understood very well what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. 
So when you consider that all but one of the apostles was murdered in some torturous fashion, if we could go through and talk, I mean, the, the, you know, like boiling hot tar, one of them was boiled alive in boiling hot tar, you know, these different things, you know, so, and all of them went out in some shape or form like that. Peter, how was he killed? Crucified upside down. Okay, this is this is not fun stuff. But every single one of them, their lives pointed to Christ, yes. and pointed to the fact that they had an, a, a, a serious and and real relationship with the Most High God, and that they were filled with Holy Spirit to the degree that they were willing to give everything on a level that I don't I am not even in touch with. But all they did was follow the greatest release of love the world has ever known. And they followed his example, what he did and they saw that that price tag, everything associated with Jesus was worth it. Or they wouldn't have done it. Hmm. When the Comforter comes, John 15, 26 and 27, comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify regarding me. But you also will testify you also will testify and be my witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. James 1.27 James 1.27 James says there, he says, this is true and what? Undefiled religion. Religion kind of gets a bad get gets a bad rap as some dead ritual thing that you go through. As you're going to see here, what James is talking about is completely different. I wish we had time to go into all the different things. But James 1.27, this is true and undefiled religion. I love James. This this guy, I, I know Martin Luther, you know, Reformation, uh, you know, he did not appreciate James at all. He was hoping that James would not be canonized uh, because he felt like it put too much emphasis on works. You know, but what James is talking about, I, I don't know, it seems clear to me, but I'm not the man like Martin Luther either. But uh, James 127, pure and lasting or pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father means that we must care for orphans and widows in their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt us. Did you see that? Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God is memorizing tons of scriptures. It, oh, sorry. No, it's, it's, going, it's going to church every Sunday. Put whatever you want in there, right? No, it's actually, one translation says going. That's why the go is at the first point. Go, period. Reach, touch, love. Yeah. Orphans. 
fatherless in this generation. They're devastated for lack of fathering. Fathers like our Father God who loves them, who's involved in their lives. I mean, this is this is God starting the Big Brothers program, right? <laughs> it is. And widows. Caring for them. In their troubles. And refusing to let the world corrupt us. Let me just read through this. Now switch over to chapter 2, verse 14. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saving the use of saving you, um, saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions. See, this isn't about earning salvation. This is about the result of salvation. What should result from our life and relationship with God? That kind of faith can't save anyone. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing, and you say, well, goodbye, God bless you, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? This is about incarnating love. That that love would put flesh on and be lived out through us. Amen. We're pretty well clothed in this room. Look around here. I don't I don't see too many people with too many immediate needs as if like you're not going to get through this week definitely not poor poor there's a lot of resources represented in this room so you see it isn't enough just that you have faith Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It's dead and useless. Verse 18, now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. I say, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds. But I'll show you my faith through my good deeds. Verse 19, do you think it's, you still think it's enough just to believe that there is one God? Well, even the demons believe this. I hate that one. Right there. That, that one hits hard, you know? They believe God. They know the scriptures backwards and forwards. They have no relationship with God, and that's why it doesn't change them. And they tremble in terror. Fool, when will you ever learn that faith that does not result in good deeds is useless? that God calls us to to reflect him begins right here in this room but there should be a level of care and an outpouring and expression of love within this context that there's more than enough to overflow out from here and touch a lot of people we're God's family on earth okay we're God's family on earth. No member should go without. What does that mean? You tell me. What does that mean? For God's family, 
we got a brother and sister who is in need. What would that look like for us to meet that need? What's that? Meals. Finances. Finances. You know what? If somebody's hurting, why wouldn't some of us, you know, let us... We find out. We need to know about needs that are amongst yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. So when there's a need, let's make that need known. Yeah. Right. You know, we need to know who's who's out of a job, so that we can all be looking for opportunities for a job. And until they get that job, why couldn't we all give to help that person until they get back on their feet? Yeah. I love that. What else? Being there for Meals? someone in a broken situation. Okay, being for, there for someone in a broken situation, just coming around them, rallying. Mm-hmm. Like, we're here for you. You're not alone. This is Jesus with skin on right here. I'm just going to give you hugs, and I'm going to keep hugging you until you get through this. And we're going to work this out. That's right. That's good. That's time. I hear time. Lots of time. Why would we even think this way? Why would we have the ability to have these kind of thoughts? Because this is a reflection of the divine community, of God, the Father, and Holy Spirit. This is what he's all about. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. He's the helper, the provider, all those things. All we're doing is imitating him and his life. We're following the Holy Spirit. The sons of God, Romans 8.14, are those who follow the Holy Spirit. Plain, simple, real easy. So we need to be aware of needs that are going on so that we can all pull together and help. I mean, right now, if we just said, hey, so-and-so's got a need, could everybody pitch in 20 bucks? Nobody's put out, but that provision says, first and foremost, God is looking out for you, taking care of you. And, and we can all love on one another that way. If you know of a need outside of the family of God, another great opportunity to love on that person. Yeah. I remember Earl Pitts, who's this guy, a financial guy, and he, he talks about this a lot. He says, he says, to make sure that you have a God-has-need-of account. In other words, you're putting money aside for the expressed and per, for the express per, expressed purpose that when a need comes up and arises, you have finances and resources available, whether that be time, money, whatever. But it, specifically, he's talking about financially, where you have money set aside where you can sow to that situation to be able to help them out. Again, this has to be done in wisdom and, and all those things. But I saw people. I saw Jesus bless people and love on people that didn't deserve it, couldn't pay it back, and actually wasted what was given to them. Yeah, right. But it was given anyway as an expression of love. Yeah, that's good. Just preaching. Okay. <laughs> so the community of believers reflecting the divine community, and I'll end with with this here. Acts two. 42 through 47, it says they joined with the other believers and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. 
they joined with, with other believers and devoted themselves. Again, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. Jesus, or Peter gets up and preaches his you murdered Jesus, you know, speech. And they are convicted of sin and all this kind of stuff. And people have been added to the church. And this is the result of, this is the community that's now forming. They joined with the other believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Awesome. Cool. All the believers met together continually. They shared everything that they had. God so loved the world that he gave. All we're doing is imitating him. My kids talk about, share, share. No, that's socialism. Giving (laughs) is part of the kingdom of God. Seriously, we're going to make our kids share. You have to share. No, you don't, but you should give. Because we're addressing that selfish, self-centered thing, you know, in all of us. Okay? When I force somebody to share, what am I doing? That's no different than the Chinese government, right? Or the Russian government. Okay? But to give, God commands us to give, to be givers, to reflect Him, to imitate Him. Okay? They sold their possessions, shared the proceeds with those in need. It doesn't, seem, it doesn't say they sold everything. It's not like they sold all their homes and all that kind of stuff and kind of pulled, pulled all the money together. But they, you know, they Craigslisted some stuff in order to meet some needs that were, that were going on. They had a lot of things they didn't really need. And we're going to be talking about that as we get closer to Christmas. Sweet. Okay. They worshipped together at the temple. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Shared their meals together with great joy and generosity. Right? Glenn was just bringing up that. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their groups those who were being saved. Okay? Each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. Yeah. I want you to notice something here. We talked about this before about building the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. We are not in the business of building churches, growing churches, numbers, anything like that. There's no reason to talk about that. Listen to this. And each day the Lord added to their groups those who were being saved. Why? This was a result of, this was a consequence of, this was not a goal that they had. This was just something that happened supernaturally, naturally, however you want to look at it. But church growth is not our goal. Okay, devoting ourselves to imitate the divine community, that's our goal. Yeah. To be like Christ and allow Holy Spirit to shape us however he wants to, just as he did with the church, the early church back then. That's what we're going to do. Let me finish with this. Um, this was in the spring sometime, and I, w- I want you guys to get something of this heart because this is so much of, of what's in me. Um, my dad came into my office. Uh, I didn't bring in his piece of paper that he wrote it on because I thought that would kind of mess me up. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I just lost my dad here uh, in July and. But um, anyway, dad comes in, he's like, Eric, you know, this whole thing of good news and, 
you know, the theme we have for the year. And, and he just said, I've just had this song. You know, he would come to me from time to time. He's like, I got this song, you know, just brewing. I got these words that are, you know, just kind of ruminating around in my heart. And and so he, he had written out these, these lyrics and, you know, the musical side of things, the instrument side of things, he's not really, you know, up on that kind of thing so much. Uh, but he loves to belt it out, you know. He loves to sing on his toes. And this is, this is the song that he had. And uh, if you've seen Les Mis, uh, you remember the, uh, the main guy in there. Do you guys remember what his name is? Uh, yeah, and he sings the, that song. It's, it's more of a really high tenor part. Do you remember, how does it go? Yeah, so here's his thing. And he, he said, I, I hear it like that. I hear, you know, Jean Val, whatever the heck his name is, you know, doing this. And he said, hear our cry, hear our cry, bring them home, bring them home, hear our cry. And if we die... I'm warning you ahead of time, you're going to have to put up with this for years, probably. (laughs) And if we die, many will live. Many will live. Bring them home. Bring them home. Lead us deep in the Calvary Road. Bring them home. Good news, good news. Make us good news to the poor, brokenhearted, captive, oppressed. Good news to the world. Good news to the world. Make us good news to the world. Why do you think Dad wrote about the need for God to make us good news? To make us good news. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Because Christians are not necessarily disciples. Christians don't change the world. Disciples do. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ, they're the ones who changed the world. And they were worthless to the world before the Holy Spirit came.